0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: G'day, mates. It's B Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out, because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have, and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I'm a cop and I keep getting called out to the same house. Part 3 by Barkles 52. I woke up early afternoon to a purring on my chest. It was Hayley. This cat has become the love of my life since we found each other about a week ago. However, I know that I could do without my new vibrating alarm clock, that's for sure. I gave her a few scratches before guiding her off my chest, and I glanced at the clock and saw that it was already 1,300 hours. So, I got out of bed, showered, and slowly began preparing to go in for work that night. I put on my uniform, geared up, and headed out the door. The Roll call was pretty short and sweet since we were getting busy, and Sergeant Oakley wanted bodies on the road as soon as possible. Right before breaking, Sergeant Oakley made sure to add... And Barkley, try not to have another shitstorm follow you, yeah? Yes, yeah, Arch. I was going to try and make a shitstorm, but now that you told me not to, I guess I won't. I might be one of the very few females in the department, but most of the guys appreciate my thick skin and sarcasm. I was in the middle of a, a conversation when dispatch interrupted me. Dispatch to 1034? 1034, go ahead. Are you able to respond to a 911 hangup? Affirmative. What's the address? Old Schoolhouse Road. Show me en route. I racked my cruiser and headed towards the house. Every time someone calls 911 and hangs up, we're obligated to respond if dispatch is unable to call back and speak with someone. As a rookie, I'm quite familiar with responding to these hang ups. A little too familiar, if you ask me. Anyway, I turned down the gravel road, kicking up dust in my Taurus's path. I stopped a few yards away from the old log cabin and approached quietly. To my surprise, there was an elderly woman sitting in a floral chair just watching television. I didn't see anyone else in the home, so I approached and knocked. "Uh, This is Officer Barkley with the police department. Can you please come to the front door? The woman slowly raised herself from her chair and held onto a walker. She came to the front door and greeted me. Hello there, officer. Uh, Is something wrong? Uh, ma'am, everything's alright. We just received a 911 hang-up from this residence. She responded. Oh, yes, uh, everything is just fine here, officer. It was probably just my husband. I became more alert and instantly asked. Where is your husband? I need to go and check to make sure that he's alright then. She shrugged her shoulders and pointed towards the fireplace. Well, he's right there, Officer. I looked to where she was pointing, but but there was nobody there. I became concerned. "Uh, ma'am, I don't see your husband. Can you please tell me what room he's in? She slowly walked over to the mantle and pointed to the center. He's here, officer. She pointed to an urn. Oh, I see him now. I'm so sorry for your loss. I wasn't sure what the response to that was going to be, but I knew it was important to not mislead her and pretend that he was still alive. Yes, well, thank you. Saying sorry isn't such an odd tradition, don't you think? I mean, I know you aren't the reason he died. Anyway, I'm sorry that you came out for that. Ever since Samuel passed a few months ago, he's just been messing with the wires. He turns the lights on and off, and I keep getting phone calls saying that they're returning my call, but I never called them. I guess it's his way of just letting me know that he's still here with me, right? I don't believe in the paranormal, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't freak me out. I gave the woman a heartfelt smile and reached out my hand. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to formally introduce myself. Uh, I'm Sarah Barkley. Please feel free to call me Sarah. "'Oh. Oh, hi, Sarah. I'm Rose. It's very nice to meet you. Again, I'm so sorry that you got called out here for nothing. I'm sure you have much more important places to be.' "'No, uh, it's all right. Uh, This is an important call to me. However, per my department's protocol, I do need to check your home to make sure that there isn't anyone else in here who, who could have made the call, right? Is that okay?' Uh, Sure, of course. uh, I understand. I'll just sit out here. I've been home all day, though. There certainly isn't anyone here but me. She settled back into her chair and continued watching her television as if I wasn't even there. I started to check the first floor of the cabin. I cleared the kitchen, then the family room, and made my way into the master bedroom. I made sure to check every closet and everywhere that a person could physically fit to hide first floor was clear so I headed to the basement. I saw an old workbench covered in different machines and tools used for loading ammunition by the looks of it. I knew these items quite well since it's a hobby my dad has had for years too. Everything was covered in dust and looked as though loading ammunition was an old hobby of Samuel's. I could see that he had an assortment of empty clean shells lined up on a tray as if he was preparing to load them. He had a a very fine antique-loading press that I know would make my dad jealous, in fact. I wondered if Rose knew the value of these antiques. As I made my way down to his workbench, I was impressed with his organization and tidiness. It was all set up, ready for him to return to work at any moment. I glanced towards the corner to the cellar door, where I saw his jacket hanging on a single hook. I began to wonder if Rose has been just waiting for him to come home after all these months. I made my way around to the laundry room and finally headed back upstairs after clearing the basement, wedging my duty belt between the stair railing and the chairlift that Rose had installed. I made my way upstairs and walked through the family room to another set of stairs leading to a second floor loft. I slowly walked up the stairs and opened the door to the loft room. I could smell the stale air from a room that clearly has not been used in years. I checked the closet and under the bed, and there was nothing. Right as I went to leave, I noticed a a small cubby door in the corner behind the door. Again, I had to check anywhere that a person could possibly hide, so I opened the cubby door with my left hand, holding my gun in my right. The storage space was pitch black, and I grabbed my flashlight and shined it in. The cubby space was nearly empty, except for an old lamp a wooden sled and an old trunk with brass locks. But when I looked at the old trunk, every hair on the back of my neck stood up and the goosebumps covered my arms. My intuition has saved my life many times, so I've learned to just follow it at this point. I slowly crawled through the cubby, making my way towards the trunk, and I opened the lid and I found a trunk full of uh, various items and no person hiding in there. I released an audible sigh of relief and I decided to drag this trunk out of the cubby especially since I knew that Rose was unable to walk up those stairs and I thought that maybe this would be something that she would like to know about. I hauled over the loft railing. Hey uh, Rose, there's an old trunk in this cubby hole up here. Did you know that it was up here? Rose replied. "Uh, What? What trunk? I decided to carry it down to her to let her look through it. I set it down at her feet and opened it. I could see it much clearer now that we were in the light and there were old newspaper clippings, uh, photographs, uh, old clothing. One photograph in particular caught Rose's eye. She leaned over and picked up the photograph, uh, caressing the edges and she actually began to cry and my immediate response was to comfort her. Rose, uh, are you okay? what's wrong she sat and cried for a few moments and when she was able to answer she said well uh, it's a photograph of my granddaughter and I not only lost her once uh, I lost her twice sometimes the pain is just uh, it's just too much to bear I asked what do you mean that you lost her twice Rose responded don't you know honey My granddaughter, she was Michelle Klein, the woman the police found in the Patch Lane house. I couldn't control my facial expressions as my jaw dropped open. Wait, Michelle Klein was your granddaughter? I knew that I was repeating what she said, but I was uh, still processing this piece of information. Uh, Yeah, you look surprised. Were you one of the officers who found her? Rose... Yeah, I was. Um, I'm really sorry for your loss. I guess I always thought that she was more of a transient and just had no idea that she had family left in the area. Well, I think I am the only family left here. Michelle's children went to live with her aunt and my daughter down in Maryland after we believe that she died 20 years ago. I knew Michelle's children were in Maryland because the US Marshals told me that they were going to drive down personally to notify her children and tell them how their mother was in the witness protection program all these years. I had just so many questions though for Rose now, but I tried to pace myself. What was your relationship with Michelle like? Well, she was less like a granddaughter and more like a daughter to me really. I love Michelle's mother very much. Uh, She is my daughter, but uh, she has her flaws, that's for sure. She became heavily involved with the Catholic Church when she married Michelle's father. So when Michelle came home and told them that she was pregnant and going to be raising a child alone, they kicked her out of their house and uh, I don't think it was even six months before they ended up moving out west to be closer to Alan's family. Alan? Oh yeah, that's uh, Michelle's father. Oh, sorry. So, what did Michelle do when they kicked her out then? She had nowhere to go. Samuel and I took her in and helped her through her pregnancy. It wasn't too long after the first one was born too that she was pregnant again. We let her stay through her second pregnancy as well and then the the accident happened. What accident? Well, uh, Michelle was driving down the road to work. Uh, She was a waitress and uh, she got hit head on by a, a drunk driver. She was seven months pregnant, and we didn't know if either of them was going to make it. I think that that night must have just taken years off of my life. I cringed as the scene of the accident ran through my mind. Wow, that must have been really terrifying. Yes, uh, it was, Rose replied. As I'm sure you can figure out... Uh, They both made it. Uh, They performed an emergency cesarean section and Michelle suffered a a severe brain injury, but with therapy and the right doctors, she made a full recovery. I was dying to know how Michelle ended up at Patch Lane though, and so I asked. So, when did she move out of your home? Oh, uh, let's see, uh, probably about, uh, I'd say 10 months after the accident. I know it wasn't a full year yet. uh, she ended up starting her own business and made more than twice what she was making as a waitress. Being that this was such a small town, everyone knows who owns each local business, and I was surprised to hear that Michelle started her own business. I mean, I had never heard of her business. Uh, what business did she start? Rose's eyes widened slightly, and she inhaled deeply. Well, now, uh that's an interesting story that might take us a while. I was... So engrossed in Rose's information that my leaned in closer. Well, I have some time. Alright, well, after Michelle's accident, she didn't feel the same. She started experiencing uh, strange things that no one could explain. I wasn't sure where Rose was going with this. You mean, like, medically? No, uh, not like that. Uh, She started having uh, thoughts, memories-like thoughts they weren't real memories and had never happened to her. She would be confused on why she just randomly had that thought and then within a day's notice, her vision would come true. This conversation was not going where I thought it was. However, I was still intrigued and I could tell Rose felt embarrassed because she knew how it all sounded. But she continued. I know how this must all sound and if it weren't for seeing it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it either. I couldn't help myself, and I asked, What exactly did you see with your own eyes? Oh, I'll never forget her first vision. We were all in the family room just playing cards and unwinding since she just got home from work. Out of nowhere, she just started crying. At first, I thought it was hormones since it wasn't long after her second child. She said that she didn't know why she was crying, but quickly... She started rocking back and forth in her seat, and she just kept repeating, no, no, this isn't happening, this isn't real. I started crying just at the sight of her, and Samuel had no idea whether he should console her or sit back. He just kind of stared in disbelief. I held her for nearly 20 minutes until she could finally speak. She said that someone that she loved was dead. I assured her everything was okay, but she just kept saying, someone's dead. At this point, I had goosebumps up my arms. So, what happened? Well, we finally got her to calm down and we just put her to bed. It wasn't even 7am when we woke up to the phone ringing and Samuel answered it and I'll never forget his face. I've never seen just so much pain in his eyes at that very moment. He slowly lowered the phone and grabbed my hand and I asked him what was wrong and he told me that Mary, Michelle's sister, overdosed last night. I had no words and no response. Suddenly, everything around me just felt more vivid. The rain outside sounded like it was knocking on the window to come inside. I didn't even notice that it was raining until now. I stared at Rose's face and could see every line on her forehead every wrinkle on her cheek and I noticed my breathing slowed. I don't even believe in this stuff but I felt almost frozen in time as I absorbed everything that Rose was telling me. Rose took a sip of a glass of water and didn't let the silence bother her. She continued and ever since then they only got clearer and more precise. I mean it eventually got to the point where she could tell us who was calling before we even picked up the phone. It became just normal to us and we treated it like a game. This gift really changed her when we were walking through the park one evening too. Michelle felt a a heaviness on her chest that she couldn't shake. I was concerned that she was having a heart attack or something because of how she was acting. But she somehow knew that this wasn't medical and said that she was feeling a spirit connecting to her. Rose closed her eyes and relived the moment. Michelle just had me so worried. I held on to her and after a few minutes passed, she opened her eyes and began crying hysterically. She told me that a little girl was buried there and she would not let it go and we eventually called the police out. There was a nice officer working that evening who listened to every word Michelle told him and never rolled his eyes once. And you know, I think he had something happen in his own life that he was a believer long before we called him. He decided to get a shovel and start digging on his own before calling for backup, given the circumstances and all. It took him about 15 minutes, but eventually, he found a trash bag. He stopped digging and didn't even open the bag before calling for backup and started wrapping police tape around the park. I felt like a child during story time, and I just couldn't stop asking questions. So, was there a body? What was in the bag? Rose let out a sigh. Oh yes, there was a body of a young girl, and that's a sight that I'll never forget. The police questioned Michelle, but it didn't take them long to rule out her as a suspect, and they just slowly started using her to help with other cases. I tried to draw all of the pieces of information together and figure out how it could all possibly relate to Patch Lane, and I asked... So, how did Michelle eventually end up living at Patch Lane? Well, Samuel and I didn't want Michelle to move out. Uh, We were concerned for her and the kids' safety, and we really loved having them here, but Michelle felt it was important to be uh, an independent mother for uh, those children, and she started searching for a safe but affordable home. She looked mostly in this area so that we could still help her with watching the kids and whatnot, but one day she was at the corner store grabbing some milk and saw a paper taped to the bulletin board for a house for rent. It was surprisingly affordable and not far from our cabin so she left the store and drove straight to the house on Patch Lane. She became immediately drawn to the house like a moth to a flame or something. As soon as she got home she called the number on the paper and said that she would have to take it. And I'm sure that you can imagine my surprise when I got home that evening and She told me that she was moving into the old house on Patch Lane. Everyone around here knows the stories of that old farm, but somehow, those stories just never got to Michelle. What happened after she moved into Patch Lane? Moving into that house was a a blessing and a curse. She finally gained the independence that she so desperately sought, but it came at a price. The visions just became overwhelming. She barely slept at night, in fact. The visions became so intense that the line between reality and visions was just slowly fading for her. She always talked about hearing a spirit tell her that she needed to check out the basement. She found that old door with the lock on it and even called Samuel over one day and asked him to help her remove the lock. Now, you know, we're old-fashioned here and we don't go snooping into other people's business, Samuel told Michelle not to go snooping and even told her to mind her own business. He refused to help her open that lock and she didn't know how to open it herself without cutting it with a bolt cutter or something, which wasn't an option since she didn't want the landlord to find out at all. I remembered at this point when I first approached Patch Lane that I still saw the rusty lock on the door, so there was no way that she could have gotten into that basement room unless she found the underground tunnel. I asked... So, when did she eventually get into that room? Oddly enough, she wasn't the one that found the root cellar passage. It was her kids. One day, they were just playing in the yard and started jumping on something. But the loud clank of the metal got Michelle's attention and she ran over to find the root cellar door. She put the kids inside and went back to the root cellar and she opened the door and walked down the stairs and through the tunnel. She came to the hatch and she opened it. She found herself in that locked room in the basement. Uh, she called me immediately after she found that room too, and I remember it clear as day. A single tear made its way down Rose's cheek, making a path straight over each wrinkle. Rose added, As soon as Michelle got into that room, she had the worst vision yet. She, uh, she saw her own death. G'day, mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. The rain turned into a monsoon. I heard thunder rumble in the distance, followed by lightning less than two seconds apart. I was taking a sip of water and trying to imagine what it would be like to envision my own death before I could even ask any further questions. Rose continued. That was really when things got bad too. Michelle found things in that room that she just shouldn't have and she wanted to go to the police but for some reason, she just didn't know if she could trust them. Instead, she went straight into the feds and well, you know where it went from there. I had a thought rush into my head. Rose, do you know who the father of Michelle's children are? Rose nodded her head and said, "Uh, Yeah, I do. Who? I asked. Rose took a deep breath. He was a, a cook at the restaurant Michelle worked at. He would force himself on her and she just didn't say no. That job was the only thing that she had for quite some time and she worried that if she said anything that she would end up being the one in trouble. In a town this small, there just weren't that many jobs for her to choose from. My heart ached for Michelle. I can't believe that she had to go through that. Oh, Rose. I'm so sorry. That must have been so hard for her. All we could do was try to help her. She even started trusting men again and started dating someone right around the time that she moved to Patch Lane, but she was always very secretive about his identity. All she told us was that he was a good man and would be a great father to her kids. If... Things went in that direction, that is. So, the dispatch interrupted me. Dispatch to all units, please respond to River Road for flash flooding. We just received six calls coming in that the river has riven past the road, and barricades need to be put up. 10.45, show me en route. Of course, Tim is one of the first ones to respond. I mean, he is one of the most active officers that we have. Shortly later, I heard the rest jump on the radio. At ten thirty nine, on my way. ten fifty two, on route. I joined. At ten thirty four, you can show me leaving the old schoolhouse and I'll be on route. I turned to Rose. Rose I I just have so many more questions for you. Would you mind if I stopped back over tomorrow night or something? Rose gently threw both hands in the air. Oh, of course. You're welcome to come back here anytime you want, Sarah. I hope you don't think that I'm just some crazy old lady though. I assured Rose that I believed everything that she told me and would love to come by tomorrow and just talk. She walked me to the door and handed me a hot mug of coffee. You can bring me the mug back tomorrow when you see me, okay? I thanked Rose and headed down the river road to start damage control. It took almost 15 minutes to get there because of how quickly the roads flooded. I arrived on scene and we were all able to barricade the flooded road to prevent any vehicles from falling victim to the rising waters and all that. I was on scene of various flooding incidences until the end of my shift. I was beyond soaking wet, and the first thing I did when I got home was strip naked and take a hot shower. Haley's new thing was to sit on the toilet and watch me the entire time that I shower. At first, I thought that it was creepy, but. Then I started to think that she was just concerned that I was drowning every time I showered because she just looked so concerned as she just sat there. I got out of the shower and gave Haley one of her bedtime treats. I laid in bed scratching her until we just both fell asleep eventually. I woke up to more ringing and my alarm just wouldn't shut off and then I realized that it was my phone. I answered in a groggy voice. Ah, Hello? Hey Sarah, it's Dad. Uh, I'm sorry, did did I just wake you? Uh, yeah, but it's fine. Is everything alright? Uh, yeah, 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 I'm fine, but uh, the basement flooded pretty bad here. I was hoping you could stop by here for a few hours, before you go back to work tonight, just to help me move all of these boxes upstairs. I never say no to my dad. I'm a, a daddy's girl, and we've always had each other's back. Uh, Of course, Dad. Uh, I'll be right over, okay? Um, You want me to grab some lunch for us? Uh, Pizza? You read my mind, sweetie. I pulled up to my dad's house and carried the pizza inside. He came upstairs and we each scoffed down a couple of slices before heading downstairs to tackle this disaster. He had already done a lot of the heavy lifting by himself, which, of course, I didn't like. Dad, you should have waited until I got here to do all of this. Don't worry, I still saved a lot for you. Can you help me carry up all these cardboard boxes in this corner? Just uh, set them all in the family room, okay? I began carrying the boxes up one by one. I came across one box labeled Teresa and just couldn't help myself but to open it. It was old photographs and clothing of my mum's. My dad saw me going through the photographs and came over and took some from my hands. He sat down and quietly admitted Ah, I miss her so damn much, you know. Do you realize how much you look like her? Whenever someone tells me that I look like my mother, it's the best compliment that I could ever receive. I don't care about being called pretty or gorgeous, but when I'm told that I look like her, I just can't help but smile. I know, Dad. I miss her too. It's hard to believe that it's been over 20 years now. We talked about old memories and we agreed that we should probably go visit her grave later today to make sure the flooding didn't damage the cemetery or the flowers that we keep around her site. I gathered myself and started carrying more boxes back upstairs. By about the fourth trip up, one of the boxes was so saturated that the bottom broke and items spilled all over the stairs. I started picking up old uniform shirts of my dad's and some sports memorabilia that he had tucked away. When I picked up one of the uniform shirts, my photograph fell out. I picked it up to see if it was another photograph of my mum and to my surprise, it wasn't. It was a photograph of me when I was about five years old or so I'd say, standing next to a woman that uh, looked very familiar at a carnival or a fair or something. But within the two seconds my brain was processing who it was in the photograph. My dad came over and snatched the photograph from my hand. What are you doing? He yelled. This was not like my dad at all. I was really confused. Dad, I just... I looked again at the photograph that he was holding in his hand. At The wires in my brain, they finally connected. I knew who the woman was in the picture with me. It... It was Michelle Klein.